Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to episode number 80 of the Scottish History Podcast. My name is Owen Innes and this week we're going to start heading around the Duranish and the Waternish Peninsulas. Now this episode is technically going to be cut into two parts because as I realise going through all of the research here, there's plenty to talk about. So this is going to be part number one, including the Duranish and the Waternish Peninsulas on the Isle of Skye. So please join me for episode number 80 of the Scottish History Podcast. So now we start heading around towards Dunvegan and the Duranish Peninsula. On the way, however, we pass by yet another one of those brochs. Now this one has probably been my favourite and probably one of my favourite views on the entire island of Skye. The walk up the hill to the broch, which is called Dunbeg Broch, which just means Little Fort, from the car park only takes around 10 minutes. Now the car park for the Broch is not very well signposted until you're right on top of it, so just watch out for it. It is labelled on Google Maps, etc. if you are looking for it. Uh, But from the car park you can see the Broch at the top of the hill. Uh, Now here's a little tip for you. Uh, If you are walking up towards Dunbeg Broch, Walk up the left-hand side as you walk up the hill, as it is less rocky and less marshy uh, to get up to the top. Now, once you reach the broch, you can probably make out the shape of this, what was probably a once four-storey high, around 3,000-year-old monument. But once you're at the top, you then look out over Loch Brackadale and you can see the cliffs in the distance. It truly is one of those views that has to be seen to be believed. I'm sure I've even shared a couple of pictures on Instagram from Dunbegbroch and maybe even on Facebook. Uh, but it is one of those just absolutely fantastic views that is perfect for any time of year, whether it be in the winter, more towards sunset, or whether it be in the height of the summer, if the weather is good. The broch itself, if you are looking for it and are not using Google Maps or whatever, is just outside of a village called Struin, uh, so look out for it. Now again, there are also some very great yet very remote places to visit on the island from here. So there's going to be just a couple of places that I would recommend, but don't have a huge amount of information about. Um, But uh, places such as Arbost Beach, which is a tidal beach accessible through a farm, so you have to 
basically traipsed through some farmland to get to it. Uh, as well as nearby this place is a place called uh, the McLeod's Maidens. Now, the McLeod's Maidens are three sea stacks that are said to have been named after one of the clan chief of McLeod's wife and two daughters who drowned at sea. The walk, however, is around 10 miles, or so that's about 16 kilometres just to go from here, uh, and can take probably almost about half of the day just to see them. You're talking between four to five hours uh, of a day just to go and see the McLeod's Maidens, but if you're on Sky and you have all of that time in order to go and see them, it is well worth it. Uh, now, the walk actually begins from the same place that you would start and park for, uh, for example, for Orbost Beach. Um, so you would park basically at Orbost Farm uh, and head out to the Maidens from there. Uh, one thing that I will say for those of you who are maybe uh, unfamiliar with Scotland and the Isle of Skye and places like that, I mean, that's maybe the reason you're listening to the podcast, but basically, to get around places such as the Isle of Skye, it is better to drive. Um, public transport in Scotland and in the UK as a whole is actually really, really good. However, when you get out to remote places such as the Isle of Skye, it is near enough impossible to get around. There's not just a, you know, the, the, the taxis are basically just a local guy who runs around in a taxi. Um, so I highly, highly recommend that you come prepared, get a higher car and and do the journey that way. Um, there are obviously some places as well that I would not recommend going to if you're hiring, say, for example, a caravan. A lot of these roads are very, very small, single track, uh, meaning that there are basically passing places uh, if you meet another vehicle coming in the opposite direction, you have to pull into a passing place or allow someone else to pass by you as well. So that is something that is worth mentioning uh, if you are planning to come to the other sky. It is best not to do it in a camper van. It is best to do it in a car. Um, it just makes life honestly so much easier for you and for other people that are on the road. The last thing that you want is to have a caravan getting stuck down some of these places that I'm technically recommending here on the podcast. So anyway, let's get that out of the way. Now, towering over the Durinish Peninsula are the McLeod's Tables. These consist of two flat-topped mountains uh, called, now here's once again, the Gallic Slaughtering, uh, Hilabalbeg, which is... Uh, 1,601 feet tall, or 488 metres, and Hilabal Moor, which is 1,538 feet, or 469 metres. There are two understood legends behind the tables. Uh, firstly, it was that in the 6th century, the visiting St. Columba was refused hospitality on the island and that divine intervention supplied him with a bed on which to sleep and a table on which to eat, which was basically God cutting down the tops of these mountains, leaving them nice and flat for a bed and for a table. The other legend derives from the 16th century when the clan chief of MacLeod had boasted to King James V 
that he had a much better table than the king did and invited the king to Skye along with the other guests at this dinner party to come and dine on top of Helabalmor to prove his point. The point being that he had the tables and he had a ceiling that was better because, of course, outside at night, the ceiling would be the sky with potentially even the northern lights in attendance. So that was basically his point. Now, talking of points, Durinish Peninsula is also home to Neist Point, which is the most westerly part of the Isle of Skye. Now, this spot is once again absolutely beautiful and is a recommended spot to watch the sunset. But it is also the perfect spot during the day to look out for uh, some of the birds, as well as marine life, which could be things such as whales, dolphins, porpoise, and even basking sharks. Now, the main attraction here is the view to the lighthouse, which sits at the most westerly point. The Neast Point Lighthouse is a Stevenson lighthouse, which was actually first lit back in 1909. It remained manned until full automation was achieved in 1990. The rock formations here at Neast Point, down by the actual lighthouse itself, are very similar to those found at places like Saint, uh, sorry, not Saint Kilda. Uh, Fingal's Cave as well as the Giant's Causeway in Northern Ireland. Uh, it is a common belief that this particular rock formation continues under the sea from Neast Point all the way out to the coast of Northern Ireland where the Giant's Causeway is. Now whilst you're in this particular area here in the Durinish, you may also wish to dine at the famous Three Chimneys restaurant in another little town, once again called Colbost. Uh, now it's not just a restaurant, but it's also a five-star accommodation. It is very highly recommended on places such as TripAdvisor. There are also the ruins of yet another broch on the Durinish Peninsula, this one being called Dun. Osdale. Looks pretty awesome from the photographs. I've not been to it myself, but brochs are always fun. So now let's travel onwards towards the Waternish Peninsula and towards the village of Dunvegan. Now, as you approach the village of Dunvegan, first of all, the, one of the first things you may spot is a standing stone sitting on top of the hill in front of you. This stone is called the Millennium Stone. Now, this stone was erected all the way back. Now, you've really got to cast your mind all the way back here. All the way back on the 24th of June 2000, which is Midsummer's Day. Now, this stone was placed at the top of the hill to commemorate the new millennium, hence the name Millennium Stone. Now, despite it once again not being an ancient monument, the views from the top of the hill, which is not a strenuous walk, I mean, I can do it. The views are absolutely beautiful. The views you get of the McLeod's tables are stunning. And it is a spot that personally I have been using and I've been visiting this year in particular in the evenings to watch the sunset. Now, at the bottom of the hill sits the ruins of St. Mary's Church. 
Now, this building uh, actually replaced the original parish church that was built probably in medieval times. Um, this particular church or the ruins of this church uh, were built in 1694. The grounds also feature a burial ground with at least three medieval burial stones present. Buried here also are several former MacLeod clan chiefs. At this point, we're almost a stone's throw away from Dunvegan Castle, so this starts to make sense. But the most impressive burial monument belongs to a man called Lord Thomas Fraser, the 10th Lord of Lovett. Now, he was visiting his brother-in-law, who was at Dunvegan Castle, when he died in 1699. The monument itself was erected by his son, Lord Simon Fraser, the 11th Lord Lovett. Now, Lord Simon Fraser was also known as the Fox, or the Old Fox. Now, this is where we're probably going back to the Jacobite episodes here. Uh, Lord Simon Fraser, basically he supported uh, Bonnie Prince Charlie during the Jacobite Uprising of 1745. Subsequently, after the Battle of Culloden and during the, uh, the, 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 the months that followed the Battle of Culloden, Lord Simon Fraser was arrested, he was tried for treason and he was sentenced to death. Now originally he was sentenced to be hung, drawn and quartered but the king decided instead that he would just simply be beheaded. Now on the day of his beheading he was watching from the scaffold as he was basically taking his last breaths and his last, uh, his last views of life uh, as the wooden stand that was holding many People, many spectators of the uh, of the execution here uh, started collapsing. Now, during the collapse of this stand, nine people were killed. Now, Lord Simon Fraser, he kind of saw the irony in this situation happening in front of him. He saw, you know, he found it a little bit funny, and reportedly, he was still laughing as the executioner cut off Lord Simon Fraser's head. This is where we believe the saying, laughing your head off, came from, as Lord Simon Fraser of Lovett literally laughed his head off. Now, an interesting thing to note if you do visit St Mary's Church is the spelling of the name Fraser on this monument to Thomas Fraser. Now, the Fraser clan spelling is F-R-A-S-E-R, However, on this particular monument, the S has been replaced with a Z. Um, the explanation for this, I do not know, but it is worth noting uh, if you are there. Now, also in the village is the giant Angus McCaskill Museum. Now, Angus McCaskill was born on the island of Bernary, uh, which is near Skye. It's in the Sound of Harris. But by the age of six, he and his family had moved to Nova Scotia. He was at one point recognised as the tallest human ever by the Guinness Book of World Records. He came in at a height of 7 feet 9 inches tall, which is about 2.36 metres tall. Now, the museum at Dunvegan contains replicated artefacts from another museum which is dedicated to him in his hometown of Englishtown, Nova Scotia. The museum itself right now is actually ran by the father of quite a famous guy to come from Sky, Danny McCaskill. You might have heard of him. He's a trial biker, does loads of these amazing stunts, has a brilliant video 
on YouTube called The Ridge. So Danny McCaskill, The Ridge, check that out. It's his dad that runs this particular museum. But of course, the main attraction at Dunvegan is Dunvegan Castle and Gardens. Now, one thing that I do wish to mention just now is if you're here hoping basically to hear an entire description of the Clan MacLeod, that is not going to happen. Um, as I've explained before, I want to try and stay away from talking about just clans. By talking about the MacLeod clan here, uh, in the in the context in which I'm going to be talking about them, I'm just going to be talking about the bits that uh, I believe to be important surrounding this particular castle. Um, so apologies if you think that I should be talking more about the MacLeods. It's, I just don't talk about clans in general, okay? Um, and, I'm, and again, I have mentioned that on previous episodes. Um, so the original stone curtain wall of... Dunvegan Castle was built sometime in the 13th century, with a tower house then being completed within the curtain wall by the end of the 14th century. Uh, so it doesn't seem as though, although there would have been a fort here, uh, proper stone buildings uh, would not have been around probably until around about the 14th century. From that point, many additions were made to the castle until about the late 1700s when the 23rd Chief of MacLeod started upgrading the castle, which lasted until about 1840, when the appearance of the castle now resembled a medieval-style building with mock battlements uh, up high, you know, with, uh, with arrow boxes and things like that, uh, as well as a drawbridge, which I believe wasn't present before this point, but I, I could be completely wrong here. Uh, but these type of additions were then added to the castle as things go on. Now, as I have mentioned in the previous episode and earlier in this episode, uh, Dunvegan Castle is the seat of the Clan MacLeod. And whilst they have a vast amount of artefacts at the castle to show, they take most pride into putting on show something called the Fairy Flag. Now, the Fairy Flag is said to have mystical powers, but where the flag originates from has three different stories. Now, the first story is the Crusader tale. This tale involves a MacLeod on crusade who receives food and shelter from a mountain hermit. The hermit warned MacLeod that an evil spirit guarded his onward path and that he would need a piece of the true cross of Christ to pass the spirit's path. The MacLeod, however, went on to slay the evil spirit, known as the Daughter of Thunder, who told MacLeod before she died the future of the clan MacLeod, and that to survive he was to make a banner from her girdle, which became the flag, and mount it on her spear for protection. The second tale is known as the Fairy Tower Tale. In this tale, there is a party taking place inside Dunvegan Castle and the nanny of the chief's infant son places the boy into his cot to go and join the party, leaving the infant alone for a number of hours. During this time, the infant awakens and cries for a long time before a fairy appears and comforts the child. The fairy then wraps the child in a blanket which of course becomes the flag, and places him back in the cot. Later, the nanny returns and takes the child wrapped in the blanket downstairs, where upon entering the banquet hall, 
the sound of unseen voices started singing the fairy lullaby. Now the third and final tale is the tale of the fairy bridge, which I think we shall leave until next time as we continue our way across the Waternish Peninsula. So folks, thank you once again for joining me for this episode number 80. Uh, I mean, obviously without any, any delays, etc. over the last 12 months or so, I really should be up to over 100 by now, but we're, we're getting there now. Um, so next time we're going to be talking about uh, the rest of the Waternish Peninsula, and then of course we'll be talking about uh, the Trotternish Peninsula, probably one of the most famous parts of the Isle of Skye, as well as Portree. So, folks, thanks again for listening. If you wish to contact me for any reason, you can do so via uh, the website, that is scotthistorypod.com, uh, by email, which is scotthistorypod at gmail.com. Um, and if you wish to support the podcast to keep this podcast uh, going, you can do so via Patreon, that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash scotthistorypod. Thank you once again for listening and I will speak to you again next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.